When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention my Patreon. Patrons get all of the podcasts a week early. I do giveaways, I do some other stuff, but most importantly, if you want me to review your music or artwork or anything else, Patreon is the way to do that. Every month, I do a call for submissions. All you need to do if you want me to review something is just post it in the comments of that post. Then I will review it live on Twitch for the hundreds of people that tune into every stream and post it on Patreon for everyone to check out. All you need to do is just join at the $10 and up level. Stay tuned for that post and you are good to go. So if that sounds cool to you and you want me to review your music, artwork, or anything else, hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And thank you very much to everyone who supports over on Patreon. Bradley Hall, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. How goes it? You okay? Never been better. This is the best day of my life because I am here talking to you. Oh, flaccid. Truly. Well, uh, I am a huge fan of your content. There's a lot of things that I want to talk about with you, but let's start by talking about your new video because this is a topic that I've heard about a lot. Kind of, you know, I'm friends with a lot of you people, you people meaning internet guitarists. <laughs> I'm friends with a lot of people in bands. And whether it's bands or fans, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of people who are not, don't respect the internet guitarists. And I think you did a great job of summarizing it. Thank you. I mean, I was a bit hesitant to make that video because, you know, I thought it was just going to come across as like, you know, salty, you know, or people making bad things about me on the internet. I'm going to, I'm going to get my own back on them. But like, it, yeah, I tried not to make it too much like that. And I don't care if people think it's like that, whatever they think what they want to think. Yeah. In recent years, I sort of like trying to raise awareness for more like, you know, people who don't keep in touch with the progression of the music industry in the way that we do, you know, we're very much in our own little bubble. You know, we keep up to date with things. We sort of know what's going on. But, you know, the vast majority of casual music listeners don't and YouTube watchers don't really. So I sort of try trust trying to keep people a bit more informed about where the music industry is at these days and how like the, the sort of like this old school traditionalist mindset is sort of like damaging, you know, damaging a little bit. So what I have found when I put out a video is that you know, from reading the comments and thinking about a little bit more and stuff, my thinking around it always crystallizes, you know, a little bit more over the next day or two. And after putting out the video, what are your thoughts? Why do they hate internet guitarists? You you put out a few arguments, but have you landed on one since then? No, I mean, like I, I did spend, I mean, I never script my videos ever. Oh, really? But but this one, you must have scripted, right? Yeah, this one was, okay. yeah. That, most of my things are very much just like sort of impromptu off the cuff. Um, but yeah, this I very much did. I spent like a good good two days or so scripting that one out. So I did think very carefully about it. And um and honestly, I was so bored editing that fucking video. <laughs> I haven't really thought about it much since, but <laughs> Okay. But um yeah. No, pretty much I, I I stick by what I said in the video. I mean, I my thoughts haven't really changed in it since then, no. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I think and and let me know uh agree, disagree, whatever. 
Um, the thing that I hear a lot, so you were kind of focusing on the fan perspective, you know, the loudwire people talking shit in the comments and stuff. And I kind of, I don't really expect those people to get it because like, it's not their job to get it. And if they came there to read headlines about fucking, you know, David Lee Roth or whatever, I don't expect them to understand these things. It's irritating, but I don't, I don't expect them to understand it. What irritates me Uh, And what's disappointing is when I hear from people in bands who say that kind of stuff, where sort of the idea is that if you're, uh, I'll say a creator of any kind, but I think especially YouTubers, the idea is that if you're a guitar YouTuber, that you're not a real musician and you only do YouTube because you couldn't make it as like a real musician and you suck. And so you did things the easy way you know, by starting YouTube. You didn't really touch on that in the video, unless I'm mistaken. I did briefly. So I I sort of used, yeah, I used the comments as like a a jumping off point. But yeah, the the biggest comment that I get most often is about, you know, how I should be touring or why aren't I touring? Right. And yeah, it's it's similar to what you were saying, like people assume because I'm not in a professional touring band and yeah, you know, I I don't have what it takes. You know, I'm some sort of like, you know, I'm sort of hack that didn't make it. And now I'm just sort of like, you know, making making ends meet, doing what I can. Here's the dirty secret is that most people in touring bands suck and they're also hacks. <laughs> Everyone's a hack. Like, who cares? Well, I mean, it's the truth that <laughs> just because someone is in a, a touring band doesn't mean they're a good musician. I mean, I'm friends with lots of producers that complain and talk shit all the time about how so-and-so from this, you know, legitimate band showed up and they can't play their shit. And like the yeah. idea that, you know, just because you're in a band that you're a better musician is like, that's just false. Yeah. I'm just trying to make it clear to people that there are, it's just two different routes to the same, you know, the same goal. And like, you know, some people, uh, like you said, some people who tour and they're terrible musicians, but so there are some great musicians that tour. And likewise, you know, there are some terrible YouTubers that are big as well. Sure. You know, who, who can't really play. So whatever. It's just, it's all down to, you know, the, the specific context. Well, you did talk about this in the video, but for anybody who hasn't seen it, I really liked the way you talked about touring because to me, I can't think of anything I would hate more than being in a touring. I mean, if you're like Ozzy and you're flying private between shows and you get catering and shit, okay. You know, you can bring a, a massage therapist. All right. I could live with that. But anything below that to me just sounds like fucking torture. Can you talk about why you have chosen not to be in a touring band? Basically, so I sort of discovered YouTube very late, I guess, compared to a lot of a lot of you guys who have been doing it for a, a while. I didn't even know there was like a sort of a whole guitar niche world thing on YouTube until like 2018. I sort of discovered all that stuff. Um, so before then, I was sort of going down the whole sort of like, like band route, but we never really got anywhere. Sort of in a bit of like a limbo of what I wanted to do with music. That's why YouTube was really like a godsend to me because it sort of gave me a creative outlet that I was always sort of looking for. Because I, I always enjoyed playing guitar, but I didn't really, like you said, I didn't really want to go touring. It didn't really sound like much fun to me. You know, everyone who I spoke to like, was touring it just sounds like fucking miserable experience. Like, why would for I no wanna, money? Why would I want to put myself through that? You know, and like, it, there's not really much money in it anymore unless you're playing at like a really high level. And so it's just like, you know, why do people do that? I mean, I guess like I kind of feel like I want to experience it once. I feel like maybe it's something like all musicians should maybe try, but it's just not viable at the moment. Maybe things will like get better in time. But you know, in this whole post-COVID world, it's just not viable to tour at all unless you're, you know, just doing like a little tour around your like county or state or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, nothing serious. Well, you made a great point there, which is the one I have always made. Like if your goal is to get your music out there to people playing all these like you talked about bands playing to 100 people a night that would be on the high side i mean 
if you're lucky as like a small band, you're playing to a hundred people a night, more likely it's probably gonna be a couple dozen people a night. Whereas you can make a TikTok or a YouTube video or whatever that even if you absolutely suck at TikTok, like you put out anything and it's probably going to reach at least a few hundred people. And that's something that you made in, you know, whatever, like a few minutes. Yeah, this is something that I've really sort of like grown to dislike the most, actually, like more, more so than like, you know, the, the people I was ragging on in like comment sections. It's just like these, um, especially in metal bands, you get these, these, these sort of like overly sort of like artist sort of guys that are just like, you know, all about their art and they don't really care about like anything else. They just want right. to write their music, you know, release some like some album on Bandcamp and like link it and to their Facebook the friends and then like, you know, and then just like complain that like no one's buying it and then like, you know, go back to square one and, and repeat. And like, you know, if you say to them, oh, you know, just just get yourself on on social media, like just do like a couple of TikToks or a couple of Instagrams, I think reels a week or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, why would I want to do that? You know, that's not it's all about the music it should all be about the music, you know, and it's just like such a oh, like the no cringe backwards way of thinking to me. I, I just don't like it. I mean, people say like, you know, TikTok and Instagram are cringe, like thinking like that to me is way more cringe. Yeah, I mean, to me, look, I'm not here to put out, put down what anybody is doing, but to me, what's cringe is like spending years and years playing to eight people, you know, in a bar that are half paying attention. That's embarrassing to me. I mean, I, I do try and keep an open mind, you know, and appreciate that some people just want to do their music. I mean, yeah, that, that's cool. But like, I'm just talking about so like from the perspective of people who are like, you know, who want to make a career out of it. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure, like, I'm sure, I'm sure like 9% of musicians do, whether they admit it or not, they do want to have their music heard by as many people as possible. Of course. But some people just don't like to admit it, you know? The second that you put your music out into the public, you are saying, I would like people to pay attention to this, right? Like if you just write music and play it, you know, record it and play it for yourself in your bedroom, like that's totally cool. But the second you put it out into the world, you're saying, I would like other people to listen to and enjoy this. And, you know, the idea that there's a world in which you can just be a guitar operator and then have, you know, money and attention dropped on your lap is just fucking fiction. And I don't think it's ever been the case. I mean, back whatever, before social media, you had to go out and play all these shows and meet people and blah, 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 blah. Do, like you still had to put in the work. There's never been a world where you just yeah. get to sit in your bedroom and play guitar and success just falls in your lap. Yeah. Um, I guess it's maybe quite daunting to people as well, because like, as much as like the opportunities you have now and the the amount you can earn, the amount of reach you can get, you know, is like unlimited really. But also like, you know, the, the amount of work you have to put in is also like unlimited really. And maybe people people don't like that. They don't like the idea of having to put in all the extra hours on the stuff that isn't music. I think that's what puts a lot of people off. Well, then don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like Roddy Coleman says, everyone wants to be a bodybuilder. Nobody wants to lift those heavy ass weights. Yeah. It's because you have to you really approach music from like an entrepreneurial sort of perspective perspective now and you know musician entrepreneurial kind of like you know don't really sort of like gel most of the time you know <laughs> right and you know i think that's i i think that's why the youtuber you know creator uh musicians it's because it's not just guitarists there's people that do it in drums and vocals and everything else do well is because whether you kind of think of it that way or not especially being a YouTuber because it's monetized is running your own small business. Mm -hmm. And like you, you have to think about those things. You have to like do it all yourself or hire people to do it. And so I think to me, like that should be the template for everyone. Even if you don't care about social media, just as a musician, 
like I find it just strange that there's like all these tools that are there for you and then almost all of them are free. If you want people to hear your music, why wouldn't you use those tools? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What I like as well about this new approach is that I, I think I said this in the video as well, that, you know, you can be on sort of like at the at grand level with your fans like all the time and interact with them whenever you want to. And you sort of like grow with them. And like, you know, you get feedback from them in real time, which can help you grow even further. And you know, get that sort of like positive feedback loop that just sort of grows exponentially. I'm like, why would you not want that? Like your fans make you who you are. I mean, why would you not want to, you know, leverage that? Yeah. So it just seems, it just seems incredibly sort of like, you know, anti-fans. But I, I always, I do think like the sort of old school approach is very anti-fans. You know, you get, you're so sure you see all like this footage of, um, you know, the Led Zeppelin guys, whatever, you know, like signing all their like uh, the kids guitars or whatever and autographs at like um, outside shows sometimes. But like, you know, that's not really like real fan interaction. It's a bit like plastic, you know, uh, the, the way people do it now. That's like real. That's real like fan interaction to me. They want validation is what they yeah. want. They don't want fan interaction. They want to feel like a star. Exactly. Yeah, that's affirmation. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, I guess. But to me, all of this comes down to ego is people who believe that, you know, the world should operate the way they would like it to operate. And if it doesn't work that way, that there's been sort of some sort of injustice, you know, that like they that it's entitlement to me, like I'm entitled to just sit in my room and noodle around a guitar and people will lavish me with praise, attention, and enough money to have a comfortable life, which is just like, it's insanely entitled. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, you know, you are offering and anybody else is, is saying, well, here's the pathway to what you want. And they're like, well, no, not like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, the way bands used to operate, you know, they just used to hold themselves away from the world, drop an album, tour it, and then again, disappear. And then it's like, you know, where's the, the fan, you know, interaction appreciation right. with that? It's just like you're just living in your own little like bubble and you just can't operate like that anymore. It's just impossible. And like, why would you want? Why would I, I wouldn't want to. Want to. Right? I like engaging with people and hearing what they think and getting to know them and stuff. I think that's like the best part of it. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, I, I think that you mentioned in the video, you said, I, th I think maybe there's some jealousy here, but I'm not comfortable making that argument. I am comfortable making that argument. <laughs> oh, go on then. So I will make it for you. I think it's a lot of people, again, it comes down to like ego and entitlement, in my opinion. I think there's a lot of people out there who believe that they are better musicians than you or Jared or whoever else. And they should be the ones getting this attention because I am better than them and I deserve all that attention. And so I think that is, at least from musicians, I think that's almost 100% of it. Perhaps. I mean, like, yeah, I just don't like, I don't feel comfortable convincing that. It just makes me sound like a fucking, you know, presumptuous ass. But uh, yeah, it does bother me sometimes, I guess. I, I see what you're saying, like, especially from musicians who are like really, really, you know, technically amazing, yeah. but they, you know, they haven't really got anywhere. They, you know, they've just sort of like struggling, getting by. But, you know, they don't really like put any like persona into their content or whatever, all their music. They just, you know, sit on their desk, like head down, right. playing guitar, like, you know, like super well, but they don't really do anything else. And like, they're, they're just so confused, like these, these guys about like why it's not working for them. And I think, I guess, yeah, I can definitely see like the envy at that point. And like, in that way, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Or people in kind of a mediocre band, you know, that are like, kind of, like you said, doing everything. Yeah, I guess the way I would think about it is like with these people, they're doing it. Everything they're doing is there's nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing right with it either. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, well, why Why would anybody pay attention to this? If you're just like a competent metal band, well, there's a, our competent metal guitarists. There's a million of those. And that's just not the world we live in. People forget that this is not 
just music. It's it's the entertainment business. You have to entertain people. Exactly. And that's what I say to people is like, unless you're in like the sort of top 0.001% of you know, like talented players, you know, you know people like um, that Japanese guy, um, Ichika Nito. Or yeah, like, or Jason like that, who, who just like, who can get, they can get by on just their talent. But that's like a very, very, very rare exception. So, you know, most people, you know, I say you have to inject some personality into it because, you know, people relate to you just as much as you're playing and your music. So it's super important. Right. And I don't know why people are resistant to that, because to me, that's an empowering, like, that's a good thing. You should, like, be excited to hear, like, hey, people want to get to know you. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't like, isn't that what you want? And I don't know, maybe people are, like, afraid, you know, of judgment or afraid. It's like, it's a weird thing where, like, they're simultaneously, they want attention, but they also are afraid of attention. Well, it makes you vulnerable once you, you know, once you start talking, put yourself out there, it makes you vulnerable. People aren't right. always comfortable with that. Right. Which, I mean, that is true. You know, that like any YouTuber, you know, we all get tons and tons and tons of negative feedback. That's part of the deal. Yeah. But that is part of the deal. You know, there's no world in which you only get positive attention. No, absolutely. Remember like my, um, you know, when I first started YouTube, and uh, Instagram and stuff. Yeah, you know, I wasn't talking or anything in my videos. I would just do my guitar playing, and then I started to talk. And it was like I was really insecure about it at first. You know, I had this habit of like tilting my head on the side every time I would talk, and I just <laughs> it was it was horrible. Like looking back at it now, but you know, you 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 get used to it, and you practice, and you get comfortable with it. And then like um, it also depends on like how um, thick skinned you are. You know, some people just really can't handle any negative comments like at all. I mean, for me personally, you know, ninety nine percent of it just got, it goes over my head. It's just like white noise. But, you know, some people really take it to heart. You know, you can see the YouTubers who like really uh, are insecure about, it. you know, they sort of like highlight every negative comment and like make a massive reply to it, you know, like post it in their Insta stories. You know, these are the people who are, you know, are a bit iffy about it. But yeah, I used to do more of that. Like, I just thought it, I was doing it mostly just because I thought it was funny. Yeah. But I realized that it made me look like one of those people. A couple of people are like, why do you like, why do you always give them so much attention? Mm. Uh, and so I stopped doing it for that exact reason. Yeah. And I just it's it's a weird thing that people, you know, it's like they want attention, but they don't want attention. And that's sort of the inherent, I guess that's the part I don't understand about their psychology, because, you know, on the one hand, these are the people that say they don't care about commercial success. But at the same time, obviously, they do want commercial success. I don't think I have a creative person's brain. And so they just, it's like observing an alien species to me. <laughs> Can you help translate? I mean, I have, I have like a bit of both. I mean, I have that very much sort of like, you know, you know businessy, entrepreneurial sort of mindset, but I, I also do have like a creative side too. And like, I think that's sort of part of what's made my channel successful. I, so I know how to sort of marry both of those worlds. But yeah, I, I don't know. Man. I mean, <laughs> it almost fade out, I think over time, you know, as the, as younger musicians get older and older musicians get older and sort of fade out, I think it'll become less of a thing. But we're just sort of at this awkward sort of tipping point at the moment. It's sort of like a clash of like two different worlds. Yeah, you're right. To me, it's like, man, this has been going on for at least 10 years. So like, how is this still a thing? But I, I think you're right that it is still, you know, these things take longer than to me, they probably should. So for you as a musician, do you feel like your creative itch is, is satisfied with like what you do? Or is there a world in which like, oh, I, I wish that people would just give me attention for my original songs? Or like, how do you feel about that? No, not not at all. Well, I feel like kind of feel like in the minority in that aspect. I feel like a lot of YouTubers sort of get a bit burnt out with making content. They just want to take some time out to focus on some original music. Yeah. I mean, I don't really like writing original music. 
uh, like not solo stuff anyway it doesn't really interest me i just get frustrated i like writing stuff with like other people sometimes in like a band setting but um i just like making silly videos i mean that's what that's what i get the most sort of kicks out of i mean that that satisfies my creative urges like plenty i think like um and that's what's important on youtube isn't it to the number one priority should always be to be conscious of not burning out and so you need to make content that you know you enjoy and like for example if i had to make video essays like that last essay all the time i would just get burnt out within like a month like you know once in a while it's kind of fun to to rant like that but um you know as long as you the majority of your of what you work on is what you enjoy what you want to do then yeah it's it's fine Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station. It was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! Down! The wrath of the buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And also, I want to thank Rockabilia for sponsoring this episode. If you're into merch, and if you're listening to this, then I know you probably are, then you definitely need to check out Rockabilia because they have more band merch than anybody else on the planet, over 500,000 items. Rockabilia has everything from the usual stuff like hoodies, t-shirts, and tank tops to other stuff, accessories like belts, watches, footwear, 
all kinds of stuff for both men and women, which is pretty cool because my wife is always complaining about how hard it is to find good merch. They even have a children's section and they have a home decor section. So if you want to get an Opeth pint glass or a Dark Throne skateboard, they have got you covered. Rockabilia also has a lot of really cool posters and flags, which as a fan of visual arts is something that I really appreciate, and some unique items like backstage passes and tab books. I mean, you could spend all day looking through this stuff, and I would have killed to have something like this when I was a kid, so I am glad that this exists. So if you want to check out Rockabilia and get some new merch, all you need to do is go to rockabilia.com or hit the link in the show notes of this episode and and make sure to use the discount code PRMBA, that is like Punk Rock MBA, to get 15% off your order. And thanks again to Rockabilia for sponsoring this episode. You mentioned like the YouTubers would take a break to focus on original music, which is like totally okay. And I'm not suggesting anyone shouldn't do that. But that kind of brings up a point that I think there is some truth to the people who say that a lot of these YouTube guitarists are frustrated musicians, because I think that is kind of true. There's a lot of them that are like, well, yeah, people like me for my videos, but I, I really wish that they just liked me for my original music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can sympathize with that, but like you also have to appreciate the audience that you have. You know, you have it for a reason. Yes. People appreciate you for what you have. And, you know, some people say, oh, I, I'd rather be doing this instead. But, you know, just you know, be grateful for what you've got and make the most of it. You know, some people would kill to have, you know, that, uh, that audience that you have. So, you know, suck it up and <laughs> find a way to balance both. That is exactly what I try to remind myself. And I'm like, oh, do I really have to make another video about new metal? Yeah. And I might get, I wish I could talk about this, that, or the other. But then I, I try to remind myself like, man, I'm just so grateful that anyone gives a shit what I have to say about anything at all. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I try to stay in that headspace. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much, it's very easy to get lost in your own bubble. And like, you know, I, I prefer in an ideal world to be making skit videos that are like more general, you know, not just guitar based, just sort of like, I don't know, like, a, you know, that Gus Johnson guy on YouTube, like, a, I love stuff like that, just sort of like general stupid skits and stuff. So you're going to pivot to a prank channel. <laughs> oh, that'd be the dream. <laughs> no, no, but I'm super happy with what I'm doing now. And yeah, you just got to remind yourself that, you know, if I'm thinking, if I could travel back in time, like five years. And then like tell my old self what I'm doing now, you know, I wouldn't believe it. So you just got to remind just, just remind yourself about that. Yeah. If, if you went to me five years ago and said, you'll have, you know, this big of an audience and make this much money talking about, you know, new metal, whatnot, be like, okay, sign me the fuck up. Sounds amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, back then I was working like a software uh, engineering job, which was like, okay. But, you know, I was always looking for a way out, like really. So yeah, tell me tell me about that because I was surprised. There's not too many people that come from like I mean, software engineer doesn't pay as well in Europe as it does here, but like that's a very good job. Not too many people that mm. especially kind of take that path. What what kind of stuff were you working on? I worked on .NET uh, web APIs, or like mm -hmm. .NET Core stuff, and like the later half of my career. I mean, like what you know what, what kind of yeah, I guess you know what web APIs are, right? Yeah, just coding that like the back end to those. Yeah, what kind of products? So I worked for a company that did like legal accounting software. It's like really dull stuff, but yeah. like the sort of software you have in um, what do you call them in uh over there? Like um, attorneys, I guess mm -hmm. we call them barristers. Barristers, yeah, like yeah, people like software in those offices where you have to like okay keep the the clients and the um the I don't know what you call them the client and the office account like balance and stuff like that. So they you know, comply with the regulations and all that. See, I'm probably the only person in the world that like B2B 
software as a service is like actually kind of my passion. Like I talk about new metal on YouTube because like, you know, because it's an opportunity for me, but like in a perfect world, I think I would rather be building B2B SaaS products. Really? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. That's my actual passion. It's it's not as a, I don't want to say glamorous. That's not the right word to use, but you know, it's not as exciting as you might think it is. <laughs> well, I mean, I do it. I mean, I've been running, you know, a, a subscription technology product for 10 years. I worked at a... Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been doing... I, I used to write code. I was like, a, so is it like a side hustle now then for you? Or? YouTube is my side hustle. Okay. That's how I think about it. Even though I actually spend more time on it. It's a lot of time to put into a side hustle. It is. Yeah, it <laughs> is. I, I never kind of expected it to be that way, but I used to like write code back in the lamp days if you remember that uh linux apache mysql and php um yeah. back back in the day back in the the old days um when they were uh yeah back in the old days when you could kind of uh get by being self-taught which is a lot harder to do now um but like i'm taking a react course right now because our we have a uh we have a full-time engineer uh who reports to me and I, and he uses react for everything and so i thought well i should probably okay. have some experience with this um, I mean that that world moves so fast as well. I feel like if I went back into it now, I, I wouldn't even recognize, <laughs> recognize oh, yeah. what was going going on. I feel like the stuff I was doing was like pretty old school. Yeah, still I guess like um I mean everything's in like Python now, right? Mm-hmm. So I hear. I mean I, I guess who the hell uses C sharp? But I don't know. <laughs> Microsoft people. Yeah. <laughs> well, Microsoft headquarters is right up the right up the way from us, so we got a lot of C sharp people around here. Right. So popular, but I always wonder uh, why that is. Why because over here. And probably in Europe as well, like, uh, programming doesn't really pay. I mean, it pays okay, but like not like it does in the US. I mean, that's mad how much it pays over there for like the same job. Yeah, I mean, it's not hard to be, you know, 28 years old making 200, $250,000 a year as a software engineer here. That's not hard at all. Yeah, that, that's insane. Like, unless you're a lead developer, like you're not going to earn more than like 50, 60K, like not a chance. Yeah. Unless well, you're working like a mega company in like London or something, but. You know, most people don't. I could explain why, but that would lead us to a discussion about finance that nobody wants to (laughs) hear about. But to make a long story short, it's largely because it's much harder to do business in Europe and therefore venture capitalists don't invest as much in Europe. And that's why, um, to make a long story short. Okay, noted. But (laughs) yeah, I I feel like when I watch your videos, though, I I sort of, I, I, I can sort of see the engineer brain at work, if that makes sense. Okay, how so? Well, you you think, I mean, for example, this video essay that you made, y- you think in a more kind of systematic, logical way than I think a lot of musicians do, who musicians are sort of uh, creative people in general are very non-linear thinkers. Okay. And I have like an engineer brain, not a creative brain for sure. So I can sort of see that and other people, even though you make ridiculous, silly videos, I can kind of see the engineer brain there, if that makes sense. Okay, that's interesting. Never really thought about it like that. I mean, even just the fact that you kind of, um, I mean, as an engineer, you you have to accept constraints, right? It's like, well, I mean, everything is a constrained optimization problem, which is basically what I think YouTube is, Okay, if that makes sense. You know, the audience wants this, the algorithm demands that, and, you know, I have this much time, so what am I going to do? with those constraints. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure I can add much to that, but it's very interesting. I feel like um, it's not really something I'm conscious of. Maybe when I am conscious of it, is it more about like how to how to structure videos? I would think of like uh, people that have too much of a creative brain. For example, like when you're making shorts, you know, the, the, the main way that I see people like fail with shorts is they just want to like make, put as much in them as possible, make them really like bloated. You know, they don't want to cut anything out. But like you, uh, you have to approach uh, that sort of content like very systematically. Like you said, you have to 
chop you know like you're doing coding i guess just remove all the bloat and just have like you know the, the absolute right the absolute bare bones to make it function i mean that's how you need to approach well, most content i suppose well you have really cracked the code on shorts it seems i mean i feel like i i did but they've changed something with shorts since uh since like they sh they announced monetization when was that like a month ago or something two or three months ago yeah yeah and i really feel like the, they've changed some back in there because i had shorts cracked for like two years because i got on them like straight away oh god i didn't even realize they'd been here for two years that's yeah, they've been been around for quite a while in like beta and stuff. I was consistently getting like between 200k to like a million on most of my shorts. And uh, since uh, pretty much dead on since they announced monetization, it's gone like right down. I can barely get like, um, I don't know. I, I just delete the ones that do badly. Like some of them don't even get like 20k now. It's, it's mad. I don't know why that is. I don't know if you're like me, but like when you release a video, I sort of like sit and look at the fucking yes. blue graph like the first hour or so, like meticulously. I mean, it feels like really sad doing that, but I feel like you learn a lot from it. Yeah, a lot of people will tell you not to do that, but I think that's bad advice because how else will you know what's working? Yeah, and you can see the algorithm like in play, yes. like in real time. So like, why would you not want to look at that? And um, the way the graph moved very much like changed big time compared to how it was. It was always like, very much the same and i know it's like uh you get a lot less views from browse now on shorts which i think is a big big thing that they don't like having um shorts on with thumbnails don't know right. if you noticed that but like for a long time you could have thumbnails on shorts and i always did like proper thumbnails on shorts still you know a lot of people thought it was a waste of time but it made a big difference but now like you can't and i think that that definitely shows uh so now you're just at the mercy of like the short shelf it sort of like yeah. seems to pump it for like uh the first hour or so and then just like kill it and maybe re resurrect it again like later on if it's good which is, i don't really like how that works it's a bit more like uh i don't know a bit more like tiktok no it's not even like tiktok really is it because I, I just don't like how it works i feel like they don't really know what they want to do with shorts yeah i don't know i, I liked how it worked before but I, i've got to try and figure it out all again now i'm i want shorts to just disappear i don't like it at all but that's partly because they don't because i'm not successful at it so <laughs> i want to kill the features that don't <laughs> yeah, with me. your sort of content it's a lot i think it's a lot harder to make good content for shorts with the sort of stuff you do it is I'm not even yeah. sure how you would you're trying to like really uh, make micro content out of reactions it's it's kind of difficult yeah I, yeah i have somebody that makes clips of them for me and it does okay um you know whatever i just sort of accept that but well tell me when and and why did you decide to start doing youtube if it sounds like you were kind of not paying attention to youtube for a long time what made you kind of jump into it yeah so i entered a guitar competition in 2018 i think it was it was like guitarist of the year more by like music radar it's like a um mm -hmm. yeah i've probably heard of them and um entered that and like a part of it had to upload it to youtube well i don't i sort of like dabbled in youtube over the years like maybe upload once every like you know couple of years but not really pay attention to it yeah i uploaded that and it sort of like got a little bit of traction and it sort of like piqued my interest and then I just sort of like started studying like you know, the whole guitar niche on there and discovering all like the, the YouTubers like Jared and Stevie T and all that stuff. And yeah, and it just sort of really interested me because I always liked pissing around making stupid videos when I was younger. And it was just a cool opportunity to sort of like revisit that and but in, you know, sort of like stick my playing in there as well. I mean, at first I was making boring shit like lessons and stuff, but like, right. you know, who wants to see that? So I sort of shifted to more like an entertainment thing. But like in any niche, which is interesting, like, Whenever you go the more entertainment route, it's a lot broader compared to doing something more specific in your niche. But like, if you want to go broader, then like more entertainment angle is always the way to go. Yeah, I had the same thing happen that um, I originally started out making videos about business, which I which I said is kind of that's my actual passion. It's like yeah. helping people build business and make money and stuff. 
and nobody cared at all. My videos just ate shit for whatever the first eight or nine months. And then I switched to talking about music since that's something I obviously know about. And almost instantly it took off. And, uh, you know, I've seen that happen so many times on so many different things I've worked on. It's like the harder you try to like make something informative or useful, the less people will care. And of course now, and at first I was, that was like frustrating or confusing to me, but now I think about it. It's like, well, nobody wants to take a vitamin. They want to eat ice cream. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I've also feel like videos like that are more like search based as well. And like videos yeah. that are search based, you know, sort of generally like sort of get views here and there, but like, you know, targeting the homepage or like the big clickbait right. stuff, you know, that's where the views are. And there's almost nobody out there that gets views with like really substantial, like meaty, informative content. Even the people, for example, um, so like I like I said, I've been doing like product management for a long time. There's a YouTube channel by called Product Led Growth, which is fucking amazing. They put out these videos about product management. Uh, they wrote two books about it that are incredible. Like they've just give you so much, like they they give you information that you should be paying thousands of dollars for. Their videos get like 85 views. Oh wow. I'm like, this is insane. Or like AWS, their YouTube channel gets hundreds of views. They'll put out some hour long thing about Docker, you know, whatever containers, something like that. Oh, friggin' back horrible memories. <laughs> Docker shit. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but I mean, it's really good information. Nobody gives a fuck. It's fucking Amazon and their videos get like 150 views. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that sort of stuff like belongs in like the, you know, the old YouTube. It's just not really yeah. conducive to the way YouTube works now. It's just completely entertainment based. Yeah. And like you, you might think like, oh, I'm going to give, I'm going to give people all this like super valuable knowledge. that's going to make their life better. Blah, blah, blah. People are going to love this. Well, turns out they don't. Nobody likes going mm -hmm. to the gym. They want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so what made you kind of realize that this was viable as a full-time job? Well, I think I discovered like Social Blade and uh, so it was like looking up on my favorite channel, just sort of like curious about how much they make. I mean, you know, Social Blade gives you like a really fucking vague, like super vague idea. Yeah. But, like, but it's not even wrong. On the low end, even, yeah, even, even on the low end, it seemed like, oh, that, that could be cool. Yeah. And I feel like, um, yeah, once I got monetized and sort of, you know, start to see like, you know, the, the paychecks coming, you know, like small at first, you know, it sort of gets you more motivated when the money's coming in and uh, you know you see it build up over time and then um yeah but i always knew i wanted to do it full time but it was really hard finding like that point to you know commit to it and jump off and i, I was like i guess a bit too scared to yeah i feel like if i wasn't if i had more of that sort of creative brain in me i probably would have done it earlier but the sort of like you know you should the analytic or systematic or whatever like side of me was a bit like you know hold off hold off a little bit but once covid hit and um we had to start working from home full time, just like Zoom calls, like four hours a day. I just, I'm just so done with IT. Yeah. I was like, fuck it, I'll just, I'll just give it a go, you know. So 2020 is when you made the jump to doing it full time. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, 2020. It was like, uh, yeah, start of the year, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's so. That's that's not very long ago. No, no, no. It's pretty pretty recent. So yeah, I think my yeah, it's my third year anniversary coming up in like January or February. I think so around that time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Being full time. But it sounds like you do approach it like a job. You know, there's some people that kind of like, you know, they're a little bit lazy. Seems like you, you know, take it pretty seriously. Yeah. I, I don't know. I call it more of an addiction <laughs> rather than taking it seriously. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just really enjoy it. And um, I, what I love about YouTube as well is, you know, if you keep uploading, then your growth is like completely linear. You know, it's just, it's mm -hmm. always on the, always on the up. You know, the, the more you put into it, the more you get out. It's not like, um, 
Uh, it's not like it's not like something else where you're just going to have like droughts for like a year or something like if you were doing i don't know something more standard like i, don't I mean know. tiktok is kind of like that yeah i don't know or if you've been doing some more traditional like like an attritional building you know right. you just have like droughts for months on end where like no money coming in yeah there's always something coming in right from uh, from youtube yeah it's a recurring revenue and uh yeah i don't know it's just like and it, it's just sort of like almost like recession proof as well i don't know it's just a really good career to have i think so too and i mean obviously it, it it's difficult and it's not a sure thing or anything like that but i kind of think so too because like even mm. if i quit making videos tomorrow i would probably still make thousands of dollars a month for like years mm -hmm. yeah, exactly and that's like that's pretty cool there's not many other things that if you stop working on them they still pay you yeah yeah i mean yeah people talk about like passive income a lot you know not many things are truly passive income but you right. know, after you put in that initial work to make a video it's it's passive then after that you know for the rest of your life isn't it so as and close I, to passive as you can get i suppose <laughs> i think pretty much anybody can be successful on youtube as long as they're willing to like put in the work to like figure out what works and learn from each video because the beginning is gonna be slow and nobody's gonna watch your videos and that's gonna suck but as long as you learn from it you don't have to be super talented to be successful on YouTube. I mean, I'm proof of that. People say like the YouTube algorithm is like, you know, some sort of black magic. It's super complicated. But, you know, once you realize that you're at the algorithm, it's just like your audience and yeah. it just become, makes a lot more sense. And like, a, I think I told you guys in the group chat about this, but I started like a, a like a brand new, like you call it like automation channel. Uh, mm. Oh, yeah, two yeah. Or three, two or three months ago. And that's been super fun to like starting a channel from scratch, putting everything that I've learned into play. And that's starting to pick up a bit recently. It's at like uh, 350 subs now. I had a few okay. videos like, sort of like reach nearly 10K. And that's going to be monetized maybe in like two months, I reckon. Okay. Yeah. Tell tell, uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So this is like a new thing that people have started doing within like the past couple of years. It's got a few names that some people call like anonymous YouTube channels or like faceless channels or like YouTube automation where basically you, you, you do a channel, but you sort of you outsource everything. Or as much as you can. So you you uh you come up with like a you pick a channel niche. You come up with like a, a name and like uh what your themes are going to be, what sort of content you'll make. Like everything about golden retrievers or something. Yeah, and then you come up with. Uh, usually you would come up with the video topics yourself. So say you you write a list of like twenty topics a month or something, and then you give them to a scriptwriter that you find on like Upwork or Fiverr or whatever, and then you get the scripts back, and then you sell you pay for a voiceover to voice them. You get that back and then you send that to an editor to edit it. And then I do the thumbnails myself because I know what works. I feel like it's yeah. quite a hard, hard thing to try and outsource unless someone's like, you know, really, really knows the game. Yeah. And then you just get like a sort of like a, like a production line going, just like videos continuously, you know, being churned in and out and it, doing it like this, you can produce content like way quicker than you can. If you were to do it yourself and at the moment like we're doing it like three times a week we're going to up it to maybe like five when we're monetized and the idea is that you sort of pick niches that have good cpms mm -hmm. and so you you know you just churn out as many videos as you can and just make as much money as you can have you uh tried chat gpt for scripts no so I tr we tried jasper have you heard of that it's probably the similar thing it's like a good jasper but yeah chat gpt is pretty fucking good yeah and so it was okay but some of the, the fact checking wasn't there. Oh, like, it yeah, would, right. <laughs> some, right. Not all the information was correct. Right. Like, the hooks were pretty bad. I feel like the hooks are like, you know, is super essential. You need that sort of like human element in there, which is kind of hard to replicate. Right. We're just doing like top 10 fat videos. And like the facts themselves were like fine. They were, they were written great. It was mostly usable. But we still have to spend the time sort of like 
manually going over them, changing a few bits and adding our own hook. So we just sort of, you know, spending a lot of time and it's expensive as well. So we've, it was cheaper just to get people to write it and less time as well. So right. I feel like it's very close to that stuff, but like not quite there yet. Yeah, there's I haven't tried all of them, but there's also the uh, voice AIs too. So yeah. I'm wondering if this will be like, there's going to be an arbitrage opportunity here for people to have chat GPT or whatever, write the script, feed it to a voice AI. There's also services, there's products that will do videos, like automated videos. There's one called Pictory that does pretty much AI video editing at like a basic level. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of them. I, I don't know that. This is exactly what I was thinking at the first thing. I was like, oh, get really clever with it. You know, AI yeah. generate like, you know, the script voiceover and the editing. We tried it, but. It's like the the quality of the content was like, I don't know. Not it's quite not there. not really there. <laughs> I bet it will be soon, though. It was close, yeah. And also, YouTube's a bit picky about monetizing channels with uh, text-to-speech. Oh, okay. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's a bit of a gray area, so it's best not to risk it. Right, right. I see. Well, it, it, yeah, it's a cool idea, though. It's in, I, I think um, I like that idea. It reminds me of something. I don't know if you know who Joey Sturgis is, um, but uh, he's into that kind of thing. It's like, that's something Joey would do. <laughs> uh, and but I guess to the earlier point, you know, that's the kind of stuff anybody could do, even if you don't like want to be a personality on YouTube. YouTube is still like a great opportunity for anybody. Yeah. You know, doing stuff like that. Yeah. And and like that's actually like a, there's a massive market of people selling courses to do the stuff that are like making an absolute killing. As you know, they're sort of like selling that dream, taking pictures right. of themselves outside there with their Maseratis with their gold YouTube plaques, you know, that's all that sort of stuff. There's, it's a bit scammy because they're, they're sort of selling it. It's like, you know, anyone can do this with just yeah. like follow these simple steps. Like anyone can, but like you still need to make the content good and you need to right. know how to write clickbaity, you know, titles and like good thumbnails. So there is an element of like skill involved, but like it's not something you can't learn, but right. they make it out to be a lot easier than it really is. Yeah, there's there's plenty of channels out there with a faceless creator because I know that's a thing a lot of people are worried about. They're, they're scared of putting their face on video, which I understand because I hate looking at my face and people call me ugly and shit all the time and I don't like it either. Um, but you don't have to have your face in your videos. Yeah. It's really whatever you want it to be. Or do what I did and just if you're just making stupid faces all the time, then you're <laughs> sort of like immune to criticism in that regard. So. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, I will let you go, but I appreciate you joining the show and, uh, I'm, I'm a fan and, uh, yeah, uh, great to connect and thank you for adding me for the, to the uh, group chats. Really, uh, it's been uh, really helpful. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. We'll catch you later. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died 
and while we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.